Oh, Father, you indeed are holy, and there is no one like you. There is none beside you. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to you in wonder this morning. Father, as we seek you in your word, we pray that it would be your voice that we hear, that your spirit would lead and guide and teach us today. May you be glorified in this time, God, and may you just show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to begin Holy Week the same way the scriptures do with the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And I kind of already talked about what's my introduction a little bit as we take a different portion from each gospel this week to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, which is, of course, the source of our salvation and the cornerstone of our faith. Let's read the Bible. Matthew 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Mm. So in the opening five verses, as they drew near Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, which means house of figs, Jesus told two of his disciples, go into the village. Immediately you will find a donkey told and a, a, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, tell them the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of the donkey. So they're coming down the Mount of Olives. They're approaching the house of figs. And Jesus gives his disciples very specific instructions. And then we are given by the gospel writer Matthew the prophetic reasoning for those instructions. So the plan, go get a donkey and her colt, untie them, bring them up here. If someone says, hey, what you doing with my donkey? Tell him the Lord has need of him and they'll let him go. And I like this. Because we so often get the idea in our minds 
that God can only use the great among us, or the strong, or the most intelligent, and so on. Here he uses donkeys. Certainly, we can all be at least as useful as a donkey. Should all be very thankful that I'm not reading the King James Bible today. All right, just a few. I was, was going to give that a minute. See how many of you figured, what? Why? Why? It uses a different word for donkey. But this is all in the hands of our loving God, you know. And, and I said this before, and Wendy's here, so I'm going to keep harping on Lighthouse. And, and we think, well, I'm not this or I'm not that. I can't be a client advocate or I can't, I can't, you know, counsel a couple who doesn't know it. You guys know my background. I felt, I felt the same way when I've been in the Lighthouse. You don't always feel like you can. But by the power of God's Spirit, you can. And we can all do something. We're all called to do something. This donkey, donkey, was created to carry the Son of God into Jerusalem. That's what this donkey was created for. You were created to carry his name into this world. And if God can use the donkey, he can use us. I think I'm living proof of that. And all of this was done, of course, to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is from Zechariah 9.9. And all of this was done in order to fulfill that prophecy. As well as, as well as several others. But it starts with, your king is coming. You see, they were told their king was coming. We have been told that he's coming back. Now, we don't know when. And I'm not, I don't guess. I don't predict. I don't, we don't know when. But we know at some point he's coming back. Um, and they weren't ready. They weren't ready for the coming of their king. Right, we see this scene that we're going to talk about with him coming down the road, and there were some who got it, but a lot of them didn't get it. They weren't ready. And unfortunately, in our world today, there's a lot of people who aren't ready. And, and we get this idea, oh, well, even people have been saying Jesus is coming back for ages. Well, you want to know, a hundred years ago, somebody said Jesus was coming back. He came back for them. Whether, whether it's the rapture or whether it's you step off a curb in front of the bus, one way or the other, Jesus is coming back for all of us. And we need to be ready. And there's only one way to be ready. And that's to know the king. And then he talks about him being lowly. There's so many passages that show us the humility of Jesus. John chapter 13, which we're going to talk about on Wednesday. Philippians chapter 2, where it says, even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't insist on it. Even though that's exactly who he was. Well, it still is. And so, if Jesus can give us that example of humility, shouldn't we adopt that same example of humility? 
Every time I talk about humility, I use C.S. Lewis because he's got two of my favorite quotes on it. One, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And two, all you really need to be humble is to be honest with yourself and to have a good memory. One of the reasons I think so many of the Jewish people missed Jesus at his first coming was because they had their own picture of who the Messiah would be. And they wanted him to come in riding on a white horse. They wanted him to throw off the, the oppression of Rome. They wanted him to be some big political and military leader. And they had convinced himself, themselves that this is who their Messiah would be. But the first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. It's what Isaiah 53 tells us. You see, the next time he comes, he will come as a conquering king. Revelation 19, white horse and all. But the first time, it was in this spirit of humility, presenting himself to the people as the one who would die for their sins. And I think we have this problem as well. We like to form images of who we think God should be. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God, and so we try to turn around and return the favor, and we try to create a God in our image. And in our mind, he, he pops out of the bottle, right? He's blue. Maybe he looks like Will Smith, depending on which version of the movie you watch. And he'll grant us our wishes and do the things we want. And, and, and all we have to do is, is clap our hands and he'll jump. What? Oh, you, you want this? You want that? You want to go here? You want that person? You want, sure, whatever you want. And then when he doesn't do it, oh, well, God doesn't love me. Or when we're impatient and we step out ahead of him, oh, God must not love me. Or when we're disobedient, how many times? Well, you guys don't know the answer to that question. Quite often, I get people in my office, I don't know why God would do this to me. Well, tell me what happens. Well, I, I married the wrong person, or I, I took the job I wasn't supposed to take, or I spent all my money on this, and now, why would God allow? And I have to sit back with love in my heart, which isn't always easy, and say, God didn't do this. You made a bad choice. That's not God's fault. You don't get to blame God for your own bad decisions. But that's what people like to do. Because they believe they have this picture of what God should be or who God should be or what God should do instead of letting this book tell us who he actually is. Does God do things for us? Well, yeah. You're alive. You're breathing. I'm guessing you ate something this morning, unless you skipped breakfast. But you'll probably eat something today. Everybody's got clothes on. Praise God. Um, we all, I mean, we've got a roof over our head. I don't Did anybody walk, right? We got a ride somehow. Maybe we drove. Maybe somebody gave us a ride. However it is, we are blessed with so much. Does God have to do any of that? He doesn't have to do any of it. He does it because he loves us. He promises to do it. And then when things go difficult, even if we do everything right, sometimes things are still going to go wrong. There's still going to be trials. There's still going to be temptations. We still have an enemy who wants to see us fall. 
but through all of it, God will be with us. And when we base our image of who he is on this book, instead of our own imaginations, we're never going to be disappointed. And I think that's what happened. They missed it because they had this idea of who they thought God should be. And when he wasn't what they wanted, right, he was and is what they needed, a savior to die on the cross for their sins. But he wasn't what they wanted. And so they ignored him. So we pick up in verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is the scene that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. The disciples do exactly as Jesus commanded them. And then the crowds of people gather to honor Jesus according to the scriptures. So let's talk for a moment about obedience. Jesus said, go into the village, find the donkey, bring it to me. And what did they do? So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. The disciples did what Jesus commanded them. This is important. We are disciples of Christ. So guess what? We should do what Jesus commands us. In John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Now, I'm actually going to ask you not to raise your hand, but how many of us have been disobedient to God? Right, yeah, both hands, get a leg up there, right? We've all been disobedient to God at some point in time. Does that mean we're not Christians? Does that mean every time you make a mistake, you lose your salvation and have to get saved again? No, that's not what it means. But by the power of his Holy Spirit, the guidance of his word, we should be living lives that reflect obedience to our God. We should be. Not, not that we're going to be perfect. Not that we're never going to mess up or we're never going to stumble or we're never going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or God tells us to do something and we don't do it. We've all been there. And I'm not giving you an excuse. Well, Pastor Jason said, I'm, oh, it's okay, I can do it every now and then. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we're human. It'll happen. But the reality is God wants us to live a life of obedience. And the disciples us what that looked like. And then we see the outcome. They lay their clothes on the donkey. They lay them on the road. It says they cut down trees and spread them up or spread them out on the road. Traditionally in that area, it would have been some kind of palm branch. Maybe not the kind of palm tree you would see on Hawaii, but some kind of palm tree. The people knew, I think, on some level that Jesus is their king because this scene that's laid out before us of laying their clothes on the animal and laying the palm branches and all that on the road that was an honor given to kings 
You didn't just do that because you had nothing better to do, but it was an honor given to kings really to keep the dust down so the king wouldn't get all filthy as they came into town. I learned the craziest thing this week, right? And you did, I, it's, it's really bothering me. It's given me a new life goal. Did you know there is a dust ordinance in Crested Butte? Anybody know that? Oh, Perry knew that. Well, Perry, you work there. That doesn't count, right? We were talking to a guy who works for the county, and they can't sweep the roads up there until it rains because there is a dust ordinance in Crested Butte. Now, there's the logical side of me that thinks there's probably a good reason for it. But then there's this other side of me that says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. How do you outlaw dust? So I have a new life goal, right? I don't care if I have a yacht or a private jet or anything else. I just want to have enough money that I can demand that there be no dust in my town. I, I just, I think that's my new goal. Along with that way, it won't get on my pickleball court. And, and I, like I said, I know there's probably a reason, but they say, oh yeah, Crested Butte has a dust ordinance. Dust ordinance? Well, kings had a dust ordinance. Right? They were kings. They didn't want to be covered with dust. So this whole scene of laying out the clothes and the palm branches was meant to keep the dust down. So on some level, they had to know, especially with what they cry out. They start crying out Psalm 118, verse 26. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save now. Or save me. Why would they be crying that out to him? Well, they might cry it out to a king in order to flatter the king. Right? Maybe they want salvation from taxes or salvation from oppression or salvation from some law that the king is debating. Who knows? But they cry this out to Jesus, the only one who could actually save them. Who, just a few days from this scene, would die on a cross so he could save them. Hosanna, save now. Son of David, a messianic term. A messianic term simply means it's a term that refers to the Messiah, to Jesus. From 1 Chronicles 17, when God promised King David that he would forever have a descendant to sit on his throne. That, of course, we know David's line eventually was broken on a human level. So that becomes prophetic of Jesus Christ as a descendant of David in the flesh who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if you have another translation of the Bible, it might read something like praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord, which is actually a really good translation of that phrase. Praise the one. So praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So you put all of this together. Save us now, our Messiah. We praise you, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now in the highest. Who else could you cry that out to? But to Jesus. you remember when the religious leaders heard this this is in Luke 19 when the religious leaders heard this they got what the crowds were saying 
that they were calling him the Messiah, that they were calling him the king, and the religious leaders didn't like that, and so they cry out, and they say, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop it. And in Luke 19, 40, he goes, I'll tell you what. If they're silent, the very rocks would cry out. Because this was the moment. This was the moment he was presenting himself as the king, as the Messiah to Israel. And so if people weren't going to give him the glory, then his creation would. And I've said this so many times, because we get this idea in our head that praising God is what we do on Sunday mornings while the songs are playing. And it's a good time, and I enjoy it, but that is not, that's not the only thing we do that's worship. This is worship. What we're doing right now, when you go to work tomorrow morning, or if you're retired, when you get up and have a cup of coffee tomorrow morning, however that works, I don't know what that's like. Well, I do know what it's like to get up and have coffee. I don't know what it's like to get up and not have to go to work. But worship should be a lifestyle for the believer. It's not for special occasions. It's not for Sunday morning. We are called to give God the praise that only he is worthy of. Jeremiah 33, 11. I love this verse. It says, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Hebrews thirteen fifteen adds as a command, therefore by him let us continually Offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You see, worship is not something we do. It's part of who we are as children of God. Every aspect of our lives can be worship to God. And so we get to verse just realized my sermon's going to be a little shorter than usual today. I'll have to make up for that next week. <laughs> but we get to verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Here, as the scene closes, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and it said the whole city is moved. And I like the word for moved here. It means trembled, moved, shook, or quaked. So this was an uproar. The religious leaders were in an uproar. The crowds were in an uproar, right? And you have to consider this is coming up on Passover, so upwards of a million people in Jerusalem at this time probably rumors murmuring through the crowds. Well, did you hear what happened on the Mount of Olives? No, what happened on the Mount of Olives? Well, some guy came down on a donkey and they laid stuff out and they were crying out Psalm 118. They didn't call it Psalm 118 back then, but, but you know what I mean? They were crying out this Psalm. They were calling him the Messiah. The religious leaders got all upset and bent out of shape. And, and then you go read what happens next. He goes into the temple and starts flipping stuff over, right? The whole city moved. 
feels like an understatement to me. He has now presented himself to the nation as their Messiah in fulfillment of prophecy. And then we have the most important question that can be asked and answered for us. Who is this? I like that question because it's an honest question. And there is nothing wrong with honestly asking the question, who is Jesus? Because when we genuinely want to know him, he will show us who he is. The Bible is filled with descriptions of the nature and character of God. If we want to know who he is, we just got to read the love letter he wrote us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I think that's so important for us. And many of the people in this room and probably many of the people who are watching online already know, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. So? You've got to continue to seek him with all your heart. And have you ever met somebody who was ingenuous in their desire to know God? I've met a lot of people like that. I've been that person. Sorry, I was distracted by a cute baby waving at me. It's, I'll go back to the message. But I met, a, I met people, well, I, you know, God just won't show himself to me. Seeking him? Are you in prayer? Are you in the Word? I didn't see you in church on Sunday. You know, I right? Simple questions. Not that this is the only place you can come to seek him. You can seek him anywhere. He's everywhere. But if you want to know him, you can ask that question. If you want to know him more, you can honestly ask that question, and then you can genuinely seek him, and he promises that he'll be there. He'll let you find him. So they ask, who is this? And they answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, there is not a specific prophecy or a specific prophetic writer that calls Jesus a Nazarene. This idea is pointed out, fulfills multiple prophecies concerning Jesus. In that time, Nazarene was a derogatory term that referred to the lowliness of a person. Right? If somebody called you a Nazarene, they were putting you down, even if you were actually from Nazareth. But there was no high view. Uh, who? Oh, one of them. One of the disciples, Nathan, Nathaniel. Nathan? Nathaniel? Anybody? Okay, Nathaniel, thank you. Um, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was their whole attitude towards Nazareth. So calling him a Nazarene, even though that's where he was from, could be referring to the lowliness or the humility of our Savior as prophesied in places like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. The word... Nazarene is connected to the Hebrew word netzer. And the Hebrew word netzer means branch or shoot. And even though they were, the, the New Testament is written for us in Greek, it was spoken, most of it in Hebrew. 
And so the word netzer, being branch or shoot, is referenced to Jesus by multiple prophets. Isaiah 4.2 and 11.1, Jeremiah 23.5 and 33.15, Zechariah 3.8 and 6.12 through 13, a lot of them. So whatever explanation we choose, or we can trust both, as the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew in his writings, we can know that the answer to the question, who is this? It's clearly Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent into the world by his Father to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death on our behalf, to rise again from the dead. This is the truth of the gospel. Who is Jesus? He is our Savior. And he will save and forgive anyone who turns from their sin and turns to him in faith calling on his name for salvation. Earlier we talked about that there is a lot of people who aren't ready. However he comes back, they're not ready. This is how you get ready. By knowing him as Savior. As we close, there's a verse in Luke 19, 41 through 42, where Jesus lamented over Jerusalem. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus was holding them responsible to know that this day was coming. They should have, as experts in the Old Testament, what this is what they were, because there were myriads of prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus. Places like Daniel 9 that predicted this day, Zechariah 9, 9, which we talked about and showed how it would happen, along with so many others, some that we mentioned today and many, many more. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies of his first coming. But they ignored it. They ignored the word of God. They ignored the Spirit's prompting to come to Jesus and recognize him as their king, Messiah and Savior. And because of that, these things would be hidden from their eyes. One of the saddest statements I can think of. Because they missed their chance. Now, some of them eventually did come to believe in Jesus. We know that. Some of the religious leaders like Nicodemus and um, Joseph of Arimathea. And many of the other Jews, you get to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Thousands of them do get saved. But the nation as a whole missed it. So this is my prayer for you. And my prayer for me. That we would never miss what God wants for us. Beginning with our salvation through Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here or anybody watching online that has never begun a relationship with Jesus, today is the day. Don't miss it. Know that you are so greatly loved that God did all of this so you could be saved. So that you could be forgiven and cleansed of your sins, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so that one day, when we do stand before God, He won't look at us in our sin, but He'll look at us in His sight. So if you need that, if you're here, come talk to me or anybody else. If you're online, leave us a message or a note. 
Let us help you with that. But at the same time, as Christians, for those of us who do know Christ, which I hope is everybody, we still have the potential to miss the things God wants to do in our own lives. Maybe through our disobedience. Maybe through our failure to listen. I don't know what it is. I know what I tend to do, but that's another message. And so I pray for you and I pray for me that we would never miss what God wants to do. From salvation and on into every other part of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you for this beautiful day we celebrate as Palm Sunday. The day that Jesus presented himself as king to Israel. Thank you, Father, for each person here, each person who listens to this now or some other time who hasn't missed their opportunity to be saved through Jesus Christ. Thank you so, so much. And I pray, Father, that you would bless us to follow you and to receive from you all you want to give us in our lives. And Lord, as we, we celebrate this week, as we go about the rest of our day, may you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name.